And welcome to another edition of Racing Through Time NASCAR podcast covering the 1986 season right now. Ricky Wittenberg, as always, along with Andy Waddell. And Andy, how is it going finally now that we're back with new audio equipment that we are still trying to figure out? Guess who's back? Back again. Ricky's back with a friend. It's good to be back, boys. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, had a little delay from the last podcast trying to upgrade some equipment to give you a little better sound and I need an audio technician um, to help me work through a few kinks on this new uh, mixing board, basically. But we will get there eventually. He won't let me use my hammer. The hammer will not help on this particular instance. All right. So um, if you found the show, you kind of know where we're at. But just in case, uh, you can find us in many different places right now. You can go to Apple and find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. The show's on SoundCloud. The show is also on... Uh, Google Play Music. You can find our Facebook group, Racing Through Time, which we post on. And hopefully we'll have new shows coming out more regularly, and we will be back on a regular schedule now. If we can just figure out the rest of the audio issues, we will be golden. I have a hammer. That will not work. All right, so this week on uh, Racing Through Time, we're going to cover the Dover race, which if you have found it on YouTube, you know that it's only roughly 45 minutes long. So it's kind of hard to go into long form on the Dover race. And we'll also cover the Coke 600, the world 600, which is also not the full race. It's kind of weird. We join what? 133, 120, 130 laps into the race. So, uh, but it does go at least until the end. So we will go long form as much as we can with the rest of that race. So the first race will be Dover. Um, I believe we may have some uh, news clips to talk about, some newspaper clippings. So let's check those out real quick. Okay, so the one article we'll read here before Dover is from the York Dispatch, Wednesday, May the 14th, 1986. And Richard Petty and Daryl Waltrip have visited Indianapolis Speedway. Stock car racing veteran Darrell Waltrip, the defending NASCAR points champion, watched his first action at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in disbelief. I've seen a lot of things in my life, but seeing those cars go into the first turn at 220 miles an hour is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, Waltrip said. I never thought it would be like that. It's almost like the front tires were tippy-toeing around the track. It's something to see. Waltrip made his first visit to the legendary Indianapolis Speedway this month, accompanied by seven-time NASCAR champion Richard Petty. I'd love to be here when the 400,000 people are here and all the cars are on the track. It must be one of the most spectacular sights in racing, said Waltrip, who will be busy running the World 600 NASCAR race at Charlotte on May the 25th, the same day of the Indianapolis 500. NASCAR qualifying speeds approach those of Indy cars, but the normal-looking stock cars are very different from the winged and aerodynamically precise racers used at Indianapolis. Just because the race cars are on a racetrack doesn't mean they have that much in common, said Waltrip. Our cars, you could almost drive on the street. I really believe you need to know how to fly to drive one of these. Discussions were made in the past about running a NASCAR event at the Speedway, but Waltrip said such a race would be a mistake. The one race is such a tradition, such a spectacle. I'd never want to run another race here, he said. It would be a shame. 
I just don't think the city or the track is ready for a second event. It would be an injustice to the institution. Petty, who visited Indianapolis each year, says that he would like to see a NASCAR race at Indianapolis. I really would, Petty said. Indy's got a racing name about it. I'd like to have a race here because of the prestigious situation that it would be. Okay, Andy, that's, I mean, from 1986, we know we'll get the first Brickyard 400 in 1994. And NASCAR in Indianapolis has pretty much been a disaster for the past so many years. And here you have Waltrip in 1986 saying it would be a mistake to go there. Well, he was also impressed by the overgrown go-karts, so. Yeah, well, I mean, 220 miles an hour at Indy is nothing to... uh, to sh- you know, I mean, my God, 220 miles an hour right now is still impressive, but 1986 with the safety of those cars, those guys had to bring a wheelbarrow for their balls to get to go strap into those machines and run around Indianapolis. Well, there's a such thing as stupid and crazy. Those people are crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but just honestly though, Indianapolis, um, NASCAR. So they had been toying with the idea way back then. And now this, as we launched this uh, show here, we learn that the Xfinity series this year in 2020 is not even going to run on the, on the speedway. They're going to run a Roval configuration. Um, so it almost, you know, maybe Walter had some sort of foreshadowing here that uh, NASCAR and Indy is not the greatest idea in the world. It just—it's not a track built for stock cars. Well, that's the problem I've always had with Indy is with the four turns, the way they're designed, there's not really much opportunity for passing, and with the NASCARs, you can't get the acceleration you need on the straightaways. Right. I mean, it's just a different animal, um, and they've tried with the aero package in recent years, but here, all the way back in 1986, you've got then you know nascar has daryl waltrip and richard petty visit the speedway and talk about um you know what a prestigious race it is but they're of different opinions and richard petty would never get to race at indianapolis it uh two years after he retires was the first race he's the one that wanted to and i think waltrip because he was a corporate nascar driver by the time they decided they was actually going to indianapolis he thought it was a great idea oh yeah well you got to tow the company line at some point you pay me a million dollars i'll give you all kinds of opinions yeah i mean what what do you want me to say (laughs) because that's what's going to happen so um our other articles we will touch on uh later uh in the broadcast after we quickly go over this dover race um the dover race itself like i said 40 some minutes We've got a guy named Steve Grand, and he's joined by Captain Lou Albano, Andy. Yes, I was waiting on other wrestlers to show up. I was I was ashamed that the either Hogan or Andre the Giant didn't come around. I know, but uh, it was actually Dick Brooks, and I did like his commentary. Um, Dick Brooks, it's it's refreshing now when everybody has to try to be so damn polished and and pro- professional and precise just to have a guy sitting up there like us. Now, I'm not saying that he were that smart because he knows way more about stock cars than we ever would, but just somebody that's sitting up there from the perspective of just talking about what he's seeing, and for the 40-some minutes, I had a good time listening to him. Oh, yeah. Well, now they, they always take a driver and put them in the booth, and that's fine for one or two, but when the whole booth is ex-drivers, sometimes I believe they let stuff slip through the cracks because everybody in the room knows it. 
but the normal fan may not. Yeah, exactly. Because they, they know it. They just expect everybody else will too. All right. So for this Dover race here, uh, the Budweiser 500, Ricky Rudd was on the pole with 138.217 mile an hour lap. Dale Earnhardt starts second. Uh, the rest of the top 10, Jeff Bodine, Richard Petty with another good qualifying run. Terry Labonte, Daryl Waltrip, Tim Richmond, Jody Ridley in the 75. The 26 of Joe Rutman and Bobby Allison rounds out the top 10. And the way they entered the top 10, I like that, Andy. Did you, did you notice how they done that? They was like showing a clip of the car and a clip of the driver as they introduced the top 10. Well, yeah, it not only put a name with a face, but kind of an action type shot too. It was, it was way neater than the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, it, I actually wish they could do that today and it would be, I would like it. I mean, we all kind of, because every week now, half the field have different paint schemes. I'd like to see, oh, that's what he's driving this week, and this is his suit and all this crap. So we have a way to keep up with it. But I I really like the intro to the drivers. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then if they did it now, it'd be like, this week he's driving the yellow M&Ms. Next week he's driving the white M&Ms. Yes, then he'll be driving the Snickers and the, then the Rainbow Skittles and whatever, all, all this other stuff. So anyway, the we have a balloon release which I'm a big fan of balloon releases all the time. Screw the environment. I, I enjoy balloons. Never did like the turtles anyway. <laughs> Screw the turtles, the doves, and everything else that uh, the balloons may or may not affect. So it's uh, we know, we, we've know we noted that it's another hot day. It must, we was going through a heat wave in 1986, apparently, because it was hot here in May. And you know you just have to know that Ricky Rudd's going to be splayed out on the on the pit road after the race half dead because anytime it seems like he clops out of the car laid he needs out, oxygen laid out like a week's washing as my memo used to yeah, say like a week's washing and i'm not making fun of him i mean some people can handle the heat better than others and i just think that it just got to him every time he had every time he's in a race car so we uh, get a green flag we have dale earnhardt jump out to the lead ahead of red we have a lap one crash or as uh Grand calls it a collision where Joe Fields and Jerry Bowman were involved. And all I can think of is who and who and who. So, uh, Dick Brooks on commentary, like I said, I like him. Um, we go back to green. Jeff Bodine gets by Del Earnhardt and he's running away early. We get a lot of audio clipping pretty bad here in this race. So at least it's on YouTube and we can get some sort of idea of what was going on. Uh, there was some really good racing in this 40-some minutes that we could see. There's one time where you've got Neil Bonnet, uh, Bodine, Gant, Earnhardt, and Labonte all right together for the lead. And I don't mean like they're like two seconds spread out. I mean, they are literally nose to tail, six cars for the lead. It's almost like they were drafting at Dover. One slip up, they'd had the big one at Dover. Well, they have had big ones at Dover, so it, it does happen. But, I mean, it was because they were literally racing right on top of each other. And this is one time where you see a, a race that's clipped and you're like, man, I really wish more of this race was out here because it was, it was entertaining. So uh, Dick Brooks' uh, comment he has, Bonnet don't give a lot of room if he can help it. It's kind of the polite way of saying that he don't move over for nobody. And they're still, we get more racing here. Six cars, literally, all racing for the lead right together. And um, I'm entertained. What do you think? Oh, I love this race. I was sitting there the whole time. I even went back and looked through YouTube to see if I could find a longer version. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we could not find anything else. Uh, Dick Brooks with another comment. I've been here a long time, and this is some of the best racing I've ever seen here at Dover, Delaware. He could say that in 2020, and he would still be correct, because I don't think I've seen any better racing at Dover than what I saw in this 40-some minutes. Yes, I've been to two rodeos and a goat. Never mind. <laughs> we ain't going to go there. So uh, the 44 of Labonte gets under... Um, Neil Bonnet for the lead. He almost crashes. Now we have seven cars for the lead all right together. And when I say insanity, man, I'm not kidding. Go back and watch this. This won't take long. Go catch parts of this race. And you're going to wonder, like, why can't, why can't they run that close right now? I mean, my God, the cars are all built better now and they're all similar, but this arrow push and arrow tight and the way the tires are and, I mean, then all the cars with all the different tolerances and five different manufacturers, you got seven cars racing for the lead. Well, that's you've seen the end cars where they're all bouncing all over the place and, I mean, six and seven inches back and forth, and these guys are right on top of each other. Oh, yeah, they're just – they're. I mean, they are sliding all over the place on those bias ply tires, smoking the right rear. It's, um, it's something to see. We uh, eventually get Harry Gant gets to the lead and uh labani and earnhardt are uh, following close behind then jody ridley has a really vicious crash on the front stretch that car was junked so was he did you see how quick they jerked him out of there yeah i mean that you would they try to take so much precaution now it's like well it's because he was on fire i'm sure because dick brooks mentioned something about that it's like you know, I don't care how hard I am. If I'm on fire, get Break me something. out of the car. Yeah. yeah, get me out of the car. So that's why they got him out so fast. But yeah, he was he was not in a good state when they pulled him out of the car. And his people had to know it because just as soon as he stopped, they was done jerking the window net down and hauled him out of there. Oh, yeah. So the top six still all right together. Great races. Um, we That's what we've got on the video here. Actually, Earnhardt is on the tail of the lead lap. And then we have Harry Gant that just, he explodes an engine, fire, smoke. And, uh, I think he had the best car in this race, Andy, from, from what little bit we could see, it looked like Gant's race. Yeah. It may have been clipped out or something. Maybe somebody else was stronger throughout the race, but he had the best car from everything that was on YouTube. Yeah. So, uh, and we don't, we kind of skip around so much, but we have absolutely no idea who is where in this race with the jumping around. We get another interview with poor Terry Labonte, and I swear to God, <laughs> he was interviewed. He says he broke the engine. That's it. He gets to say, they must say they've got a Labonte rule. He, he don't get more than three words, pal. Three words. <laughs> okay, boss. It broke. <laughs> it broke. <laughs> I blew up. So Terry Labonte out of the race. And we uh, fast forward to where we've got five laps to go. Jeff Bodine way out front of the field. And uh, there's no drama here at the end of the race. The, the race looked really good, apparently, until the very end. And uh, Bodine wins pretty easy over Bobby Allison, who finishes second. Earnhardt finishes third, and he was a lap down. Ricky Red winds up fourth, two laps down. And Waltrip, fifth, also two laps down. So um, what do you want to say about Dover? I want to say this. Let me air a grievance. Okay. For everyone that is going on about, oh, the racing was horrible back in. Look at this. You only had two cars on the lead lap. This was great racing. You know why you had two cars on the lead lap? Because they didn't give them nothing for free. That's why. Yeah, there was, there was no 
free passes, no lucky dogs, no waiver rounds, you know, none of that. No stage breaks. Like we've, I'm sure we've said that every week, but it's the truth. You, you go back and the attrition, um, Let's let's we, go. Let's let's pull that up. I mean, we've got the computer right here in front of us. Let's you see how know, much. it's bad when every race we've seen has an attrition graphic to show you who got out on attrition. Oh yeah. Oh oh man. So we start thirty-seven cars here at Dover, and fourteenth uh, place of Harry Gant was out of the race with an engine failure. So there were two others that were running, but they had had some apparent problems. I mean, I don't think Buddy Arrington or poor Jerry Kramer was so slow they got lapped, you know, 37 times for some other, maybe, maybe, maybe Jerry Kramer, not, not Buddy Arrington. Um, so Harry Gant finishes 14th, uh, with a blown engine. So we have another, so we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven engine failures, uh, a couple of cars overheated. Somebody dropped out for steering issues, uh, clutch, brakes, handling, and um, a couple of crashes. So, you know, when you start 37 cars and you only wind up finishing 15 of them, yeah, the attrition's going to get you. Yeah, and that's because you have different levels, you have different drivers, you have different kind of cars, and everybody has to drive a different race. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's where we was at with, uh, with the Dover race and... Uh, we will move into our World 600 coverage. And before we do that, we will go over a couple of the news articles that were leading into the Charlotte race. And we will start with, uh, yeah, the Richard Petty deal. So Richard Petty, going into the Coke 600 here, um, has a crash. And NASCAR had some weird, I don't know why they didn't let you put a backup car in. But his car was broke beyond repair, even though he'd qualified 14th or 16th for the race. But because his car was destroyed, he was he had to withdraw the car because they wouldn't let him put it back up in. And then he, he has to wind up starting DK Ulrich's car. So here is the story straight from the Tipton County Tribune in Tipton, Indiana. Stock car driver Richard Petty suffers a concussion Friday after crashing into a wall at Charlotte Motor Speedway during a practice run, forcing him to withdraw his car from Sunday's Coke 600 NASCAR race. But if doctors give their approval, Petty will drive DK Ulrich's car with a Petty engine starting from the 37th position. Ulrich won in qualifying Friday, track of the 37th position. This is poorly written. Yes. <laughs> Ulrich was going to start 37th. Let's just put it that way. NASCAR officials said Petty's car would have to be withdrawn from the race if it could not be repaired by Sunday starting time. About 30 minutes after that announcement, track officials said that the car had been withdrawn. But under a NASCAR maneuver known as buying the ride, officials said Petty, with permission of doctors, would drive Ulrich Chevrolet and replace Ulrich's engine with one of his own. Ulrich qualified for the 38th position in the 42-car field. Petty qualified 15th with a time of 161.4 miles an hour. With Petty's car withdrawn, all cars in the field will move up one position, putting Ulrich's car in 37th. Deb Borky, a spokesman for Charlotte Memorial Hospital, and the medical center said Petty suffered a slight concussion. 
She said doctors in the emergency room were examining him for any additional injuries. Borky said Petty arrived at the hospital by helicopter 22 minutes after the helicopter was summoned. He's sitting up and laughing, said the Speedway spokesman Tom Cotter. He's got a bruise on his leg and an ice pack on the bruise. He says he's going to come out of the Speedway first thing in the morning. Winston Cup spokesman Bob Moore said that Petty had a temporary memory loss immediately after the accident. He didn't remember what year it was, Moore said. He kept asking crew chief Dale Inman what year it was, what race are we at, and where are we at? By the time he left, he remembered everything. He was talking all the time, Moore said. He was joking. He was saying, don't drop me. I'm not hurt now, so don't hurt me. Moore said that Petty wanted to walk out of the hospitals, but doctors would not let him. He said that the last thing that he remembered was going into the third turn. The doctor said that more than likely, he'll be back tomorrow. Inman said that he don't know what caused the accident. All I know is he hit the wall. He's not unconscious. He knows everything, but he don't remember what happened. Petty's red, white, and blue Pontiac with the traditional number 43 appeared to have suffered heavy front-end damage from the crash. Crew members were pounding out body dents, taking off flat tires, and running engine checks shortly after the car was returned to the pit area. Petty, a seven-time NASCAR Grand National Champion, recorded his 200th career victory at Daytona on July the 4th of 1984. Between 1965 and 75, he won 137 races to become the king of NASCAR stock car racing. The Randleman native has started over 990 Winston Cup races and a string of 433 consecutive starts dating back to 1970. Petty, known for his black sunglasses and cowboy hat and boots, has won over 3.8 million in his racing career. That might be a five. Petty's best season was 1967 when he won 27 races and finished in the top five 38 times out of 48 starts. Okay, Andy, um, before we move to the next article, we have a couple of things to unpack here. Yes, I would just like to say that where I'm from, buying the ride means an entirely different thing. That's true, but let's talk about safety in NASCAR. No, dear Lord. So Richard Petty slams into the wall. He, he don't know where he is, why he's there, what year it is, and he's going to be cleared to race a couple of days later. Yes, they know he has a concussion, and it's like, oh, he'll, he'll walk it off. He'll be all right. By the, by the time you leave, can you tell us where you're at? Well, yeah, this dude over here just told me where I'm at. Yeah. I can remember long enough to tell you what he just told me. Exactly. So the whole thing is, I mean, this is before we know what we know about concussions now, but gosh almighty, just imagine him having another severe crash a couple of days later at Charlotte. He'd probably been in a coma. I mean, I'd have probably done him in. You you can't have back-to-back concussions that quick and get away with it. Well, I mean, love him or hate him, look what it did to Earnhardt Jr.'s career. I mean, he has a concussion and then another one possible concussion and it it just piled up on top of everything. And from then on, he just wasn't the same driver. Yeah. I mean, and it happens in just anything in sports. Look at MMA. Um, the, the guys that you know that never lost a fight that had an iron chin at first time they get popped and knocked out. And I mean, knocked out. It don't take anything 
I mean, they could take a pounding, but then the next time they fight, all it's going to take is just a glancing blow and they're done. So the concussions, once you get that first one, it's just downhill. The first one I remember growing up was probably Steve Young because he got a concussion and it was another concussion and then the concussion on a concussion. And, you know, like you say, after the first one, it's, it's like it weakens you. Yeah, it's, it just takes something out of you. And, and I mean, I'm sure by this point in his career, it's it's hard telling how many concussions Richard Petty had. I mean, you would think, unless you're just immune to it somehow or you've got real lucky, he'd had 10 or 15 concussions before this. Well, you got to remember, this is the same driver. I've heard, I've heard him tell the story. He wrecked, went over the barrier or something. They got him out, and he said, my neck hurts. They take him in there. They x-ray him, and the doctor comes back and says, when did you break your neck before? And he's like, I didn't know I had. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's how tough these guys were. I mean, it just what it wasn't a thing that they thought about any like they'd have to today. Yeah, so I mean, so we're gonna have Petty um starting DK Ulrich's car in uh, the World Six Hundred. So we've got that article. We'll get that one out of the way. Um there's another article about the concussion with a picture. We'll put that on our uh, uh Facebook page. I don't think there's anything more that could be said about that. Uh, but we can talk about, we can talk about one more article here. Um, now Mr. Willie T ribs had not, he does not make this race, but this article was written prior to the race. And I'm just going to read it because I've just found it interesting when I was, uh, rifling through articles that we could discuss this week. So this article is from the San Francisco examiner from, May the 23rd, 1986, Gary Carroll. Amid all the hoopla surrounding Sunday's Indianapolis 500, it's easy to forget that the NASCAR stock car party the same day in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Coca-Cola 600, formerly known as the World 600, remains as much a Memorial Day fixture as the big one, and San Jose's Willie T. Ribs is in the middle of it. He will be aboard a die guard Pontiac in Sunday's race, provided that he qualifies tomorrow, which he won't. We've been testing at Charlotte and we've been running 164.16, Rib said by phone from Charlotte. I figure we'll need at least that just to get into the field, maybe more. Ribs, the 30 year old package of color, controversy, and driving skill, struggled through a difficult NASCAR Winston Cup debut on April the 20th in North Wilkesboro. He qualified 29th out of 30, who made the grid, and he finished a modest 22nd in the race itself and pocketed a check of $1,010. I've never been booed so much in my life, said Ribs, during a recent trip back to the Bay Area. It's like a Brazilian soccer crowd. They sit there, thousands of them, fans, while the drivers are introduced and lined up before the race. Richard Petty gets 100% cheers. Daryl Waltrip gets booed loudly. And then me. I don't know any of these people. Even know, I don't know if any of these people even knew who I was. This is my first year. I normally race sports cars on road courses, not stock cars on Speedway ovals. But when my name was announced and they really let me have it, boo! Ribs had been a dominant force in the Trans Am sports car racing over the past two years, and last year signed a three-year deal to drive for Die Guard in the big money Winston Cup circuit. After a pair of practice crashes, Ribs finally got off the ground at North Wilkesboro's infamous mini oval. 
The speeds around the half mile North Wilkesboro track were astonishing, and it was my first time out, and I didn't want to take any unnecessary chances, Rib said. We'll run Charlotte and then be right in there for the rest of the series. Ribs was officially baptized in the NASCAR the fraternity by the infamous Waltrip known more for running opposing drivers off the track than winning races. I had never been lapped in my entire racing career, Ribs said. Never. Then Waltrip steps over and says, you never been lapped, huh? Well, get ready for history, kid, because you're going to get lapped more than once. It was pretty humiliating. Okay, Andy. <laughs> okay, I got, I got, I got a problem here. I, you know me. I did not. I grew up disliking Daryl Walter. Oh God, you know that's what you said. I didn't know where you was going with that. But, <laughs> but Walter is the one that runs them off the track. Uh, did I miss something here? I mean, he he's an aggressive driver as they all are, but runs them off the track. What the? Uh, I mean, he's he's had his run-ins and i you know i guess in the past he had been known as more of a uh aggressive driver but i mean even up to the early 80s i don't think that you could call him a guy that just walled people so but i don't know who this gary carroll is but i about bet he don't know a whole lot about nascar well he can't even spell jerry right look at that i mean come on yeah yeah spell it spell it like a man damn it all right so let's get the really t ribs thing though um I mean, Waltrip with a pretty sick burn there at the end. I mean, you, you can't burn somebody any worse than that. You ain't never been lapped before. Well, you're going to be lapped today. <laughs> you're going to learn today. You're going to learn. All right. And, I mean, you just, you see these articles back then, and, and you feel bad for a guy in a society that's changing um, and in a sport where you still don't see many African-American drivers or you know, fans, you don't see as many and you want to root for the guy, but then you read something like this and you just think, I don't know if he was very smart. Well, from some of the stuff that I've read about him, he was hot headed. Yeah, he was hot headed and that didn't help his case in 1986 in the South. I mean, like you say, it was a different time. It, call it racist or prejudiced or whatever you want to call it. If you come in with that attitude like that, then they're automatically going to be against you because they're looking for a reason anyway. Yeah. At that time, I mean, he's just got a chip on his shoulder. If he would, if he would have came, I mean, it's okay to have the chip. You, you want to have that um, aggressiveness and and you want to have that chip on your shoulder to try to make yourself better. But at the same time, you got to be really careful when you're coming into like a, a NASCAR sport. You, it seems like it, he should have embraced it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're getting booed. Tell, get him to boo me. Be the bad guy. I mean, if that's what it's going to take to get some attention, it's never bad when they're making noise. I've, you know, I think Dale Earnhardt himself said that. You know, he said the problem one of these days would be. He said, if I'm being booed, that's fine. If I'm being cheered loud, that's fine. The problem's going to be when they're not making any noise. So. Yep. That's the deal. Like, it doesn't matter. If if they're going to cast you as the bad guy, be the bad guy. It, it's just like professional wrestling. If if they're not making noise, you ain't doing your job, and you ain't going to have a job long. If they're making any kind of noise, good or bad, hey, you've done your job. Yeah. And and then poor Willie, don't even don't even make the race. So don't have to worry about getting lapped at Charlotte because he um, he's not in the field. So there are the news articles for this week. And... We'll go back to maybe 
go back to the show notes. Here we go. All right. So, um, yes, in the tradition, because in 1985, we know, we all know, we had the Super Bowl shuffle, Andy. Yeah. For Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Well, the drivers, um, in, a, in a little known fact, they all done their little World 600 shuffle, and we caught some notes uh, from the unreleased World 600 shuffle. All right. So first up, Richard Petty. My name is Petty. They call me the king. In this race today, I'll be driving something green. I'm not sure where I'm at, and I may be bleeding, but the rest of the field is in for a beating. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh. Um, well, let's get the crew chiefs in on this. How about it? All right, go go for it. My name is Harry, but I do not hide. I got a boy who can really drive. Name's Tim Richmond, and he's the man. When he's at home, he never has to use his hands. A boy named Jared, he had a question. All he going to get is my rejection. Folgers for life. All right, <laughs> coming in strong. Yes, and if we, when we go into this race, you'll know what we're talking about, about the Jarrett question. Uh, Harry Gant. I'm Harry Gant driving that green skull car. I carry around Burt Reynolds' toupee in an old mason jar. My car will run high and it will run low, but one thing it won't do is it won't run slow. <laughs> I don't know where the Burt Reynolds uh, toupee thing came in there, Harry. That's a weird flex, but Okay. <laughs> Oh, Lord. My name is Big E. You can see I'm at all these guys looking at me. They see my back end, and that's all they get. Because they and I am, I am the... Yeah. I'm old DW. I'm still in my prime. This Feist Bud car will turn on a dime. Junior's got it ready for the big race, you see. Hey, Stevie, has Rick Hendrick called me? <laughs> my name is Morgan Shepard. I'm fast as a leopard. If you see me, then you're in a leper. I'm smiling Jeff Bodine, and I'm always happy. Even when my car runs kind of crappy, I can get one step closer to a millionaire today just going to get this fast car in victory lane. Rusty Wallace sucks. Next. My name is Kyle, and I call Daddy Diddy. Hey, pal, can I borrow about 350 I was supposed to be the next big country star, but I guess I'll settle for driving a 7-Eleven car. That's a 7-Eleven car. <laughs> Boats and hose. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? G's up, hose down. What's up? Okay. Um, that's probably enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we just lost about half the listeners. So. Yeah, we've offended the other half, and the other, one half said, this is not for me. But we will not have a women's heavyweight champion. No, we will not. And uh, it sounds like a kind of shitty situation, if you ask me. Yes, it, it, there was a turd in the punch bowl somewhere. So we have the Jefferson Pilot broadcast here, and uh, we do join the race in progress at lap 133. And I figured out, uh, I think I've made some notes, but I'm not that bright either. So I kept wondering why the hell they were showing the Indianapolis radar during this race. Like, I mean, I know the Indy 500 is more important than the Coke 600, but I'm like, guys, really? You're showing the Indy radar? But it's because this was a, I'm sure this tape came from Indianapolis. I, 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 I have an unpopular opinion about Indy cars, but I still, I think they're overgrown go-karts. That's why I never could watch it. Uh, we're going to watch that for Patreon, and you're going to like it. What? <laughs> you can make me watch it, but you can't make me like it. Uh, we'll see about that. Okay, so um, Richard Petty, first thing we get is he has uh, been interviewed, and he has blowed her up, Andy. Gosh, just 100, I mean, I don't know how many laps he made, but. Richard Petty already out of the race. We didn't even get to see the green car. No, I wanted to see him in a green car. That would have been awesome. 
know. We've got some uh, photos of that car that we will share on our Facebook page. And now we'll hear from our friends, uh, uh, Billy Bob and and his cousin Cletus. Hey, Billy Bob. Uh, what? Am am I seeing shit? Because, I mean, is is not... uh, Richard... Why is Richard... Is that Richard Petty? The king wouldn't be in no green car, you fool. That can't be Richard Petty. Well, I mean, it looks like him. I, uh, he had his, he got when he got in the car there a minute ago. There, when they done the driver intros, I'm pretty sure they said Richard Petty. And then I saw his hat. You know, a big feather sticking out of it. I am pretty sure that that long cold drink of water just climbed into that damn green car. What's going on? Did you get that moonshine out of the radiator again, boy? That ain't Richard Petty. That's a green car. I, I mean, they said his name is D. K. It says right here in the program, D.K. Ulrich. Ulrich. I can't. What? D.K. Ulrich. Yeah, I hear you, damn it. D.K. Ulrich. Uh, but that is not D.K. Ulrich. That is the king. Wait, uh, wait a minute. And there's another thing. Where is the 43? I don't even see his car. Where's his car? We come here to see the king. What the hell is going on? Well, they ought to give him one of them there what you call backup cars or at least something, but that ain't the king. He wouldn't drive an old poop green car. I don't believe it, but I am pretty sure that that, that, that announcer for uh, that track announcer there, he just said Richard Petty, and he walked up and waved to the people there. And I, I mean, I know that I've been drunk a lot this week, but I'm not drunk today because I want to remember this race. And that is Richard Petty. Well, all I can say is, if that's Richard Petty, we will know it because it will... He blew up. It blew up. It is Richard Petty. I guess it is. I'll be damned. I don't know what to think. And there you have it. So the idiots, with with their, uh, their confusion just like us, because Richard Petty was, in fact, in a green car. And the sad part is, you know, that conversation probably happened somewhere in the stands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you that was a fi- And that wasn't just a conversation. There was a fist fight. Involved. Oh, yeah. We we just <laughs> won't go to that kind of detail for this show. Mainly because he would break me like a twig. But but, uh, but Richard Petty was, in fact, in DK Ulrich's car and did blow up. So up front here, as we are 133 laps into this race, we have Daryl Waltrip and Bill Elliott um, racing side by side. We've got Tim Richmond and Dale Earnhardt side-by-side right behind them. Ernie Elliott is back after his battle with Mono or Herpes or whatever he had. I have it on good authority that he had an inflamed perineum. Look that one up, people. Mm, No. (laughs) I'll just take your word for it. It ain't nothing bad. Okay. The 25 car of Richmond leapfrogs the... Elliot and Waltrip and goes into the lead and Andy, my God, for the first time in this whole thing we've been doing, the reason I picked 1986 is because of Tim Richmond and this is the first time I think we saw him in the lead. Yes, now your choice has been validated. Yeah, halfway into the season. Um, so we've got Mike Joy in the pits today. Uh, the Rusty Wallace and Bill Elliott, they race hard for second and uh, you can really see the effects of the draft here today. Side by side for second, we've got uh, Bodine and Waltrip side by side for fourth, and we have Yarborough who's uh, just right on top of them also. And then Yarborough just kicks it into overdrive, and he rolls past all of them up into second. And uh, this is one of those things, gosh, we've talked about this before, but you just got to remember this is a different time in NASCAR. 
when you had big races like the Coke 600, like Darlington, like Daytona, Talladega, you'd get guys like Yarborough Baker that didn't run the whole schedule. They'd come out and run and they could be competitive. And right here, Kel Yarborough is definitely showing he got a car that can race today. Well, that's why it's so great about this race is you can look down the whole list and three quarters of them, I'd say, are probably in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's oh, or should be at least. Yeah, this this race is stacked from just sheer star power. It's, it's crazy. We get an interview with David Pearson, who actually makes one of two starts in 1986. He's not driving for the Wood Brothers, but since the Wood Brothers are driving the 7 for the 7-Eleven, he actually is in a 21 car, and he um, he busted a head gasket, but he, he was happy with how the car ran. And, uh, yeah, this is where we made the note. I mean, I mean, Pearson was in this race. Petty, Baker, Waltrip, Allison, Earnhardt, Richmond, Elliott. I mean, you got the the guys that was young back then. You had Rusty Wallace, Terry Labonte. Kowicki. Kowicki was in the race. Yeah, I mean, even though he wasn't. Yeah, it went up for long, but, you know. I mean, he was in the race, but we had all these stars of NASCAR in the race. I mean, they even had Sterling Marlin, Shepard, Rudd, um, Neil Bonnet, you know, Hall of Fame career. Then then you have some that's, that's not quite as much. Mark Martin was in this race. Parsons. Both yeah, of them. Both Parsons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Phil is not a bad driver. I mean, this was a good field of 41 cars here. You got a lot of wins and, uh, just, this was like a crossroads at NASCAR. You had some of the old guard going out, some of the young guys moving up and, and you, you just can't ask for like a better blend of, like if you said you're going to put these guys, if they was all in their prime in a race today, I'd be like, sign me up. I don't, I might mortgage the house to watch it, but I'll do whatever I have to. Yeah. We go into the racetrack and we take in the RV. So Yarborough has ran down uh, Tim Richmond for the lead. We're 150 laps into the race. And um, we do get a clip here, our first clip of the race. Yarborough and Richmond racing for the lead. And, uh, two car lengths back from Tim Richmond. 151 laps complete. And look at Yarborough now. Yarborough on the high side of the racetrack. Yarborough wants the lead away from Tim Richmond. And Cale Yarborough fighting and battling and flying for the lead. Richmond won't let him have it down low on the racetrack. Richmond running high earlier in the race. Now it's Yarborough running high. Yarborough maintains second place. So they're running nose to tail there. They uh, do that for several laps. Richmond fins him off. Both cars, they're rim riding the top groove there. A um, couple more laps down. Yarborough finally, he gets by on the high side. Andy, they, they note during the race here that Kelly Yarborough was only a 46 years old. My God. I just, he was always perpetually a hundred. Well, I mean, he wasn't that, he, he I always thought he's like 50. He always looked, no matter if he was 40 or 70, he looks like he's about 50. He was the Arn Anderson of the racing world. He was, that is a good call because Yarborough and Anderson, neither one have a neck. No, neither one have a neck and they've always looked 50 from the early eighties on up to the nineties. Yeah. All right. So he was only 46 years old. Um, I mean, yeah, like I if he would have wanted to run the whole schedule, I think he had a few, you know, he could have still had a few more good years left in him. Oh, definitely. I mean, he showed he had, he still had the talent during this race. Yeah, I mean, he, he still had something. Um, we we got the uh, 27 of Wallace, Bill Elliott, Daryl Waltrip, and Morgan Shepard, third through sixth. And they're all kind of running right together in a little mini draft. Uh, Yarborough, he, once he got out front, he gone, he just checked out. Um, 
he's a few seconds ahead of the 25 Richmond. And then here is where Andy's uh, shuffle comes in. We get Glenn Jarrett in the field. Uh, no, wait, no, this is not the same one. Sorry, this is Waddell. Never mind. Uh, we're going to have that later with Harry Hyde. Glenn Jarrett interviews Waddell Wilson. Um, he's happy that Kell's running so good today. Waddell was Kell's crew chief at the time. 170 laps down, and Yarborough dominating the race. Wallace and Elliott racing pretty hard for third. <clears throat> then we've got Glenn Jarrett um, with Barry Dotson. Dotson says that Kell and Tim need to stop and get a hamburger and a cup of coffee to let uh, old Rusty catch up. I don't think that that's probably going to happen. No, I I wouldn't imagine it, but then again, you never know. I mean, somebody had to do the ice cream scene for Days of Thunder. That's that's true. Very true. All right, so now we get, uh, we're going to take another clip where we have Waddell Wilson uh, breaking down engines. You can make more horsepower. Now, a place like Charlotte, the barometer don't change a lot, but every morning when I come to the racetrack, I'll still look at the barometer to see if it's changed from the day before. And a lot of times if it's going up or down, I'll change the jetting accordingly to make sure that I've got the engine ready to run that day and not have to question it. Uh, especially if Kale gets out there and wants to run maybe eight or ten laps, I don't want to stand there and worry about, well, am I going to burn a piston or is the engine going to perform right and run well enough? So I try to keep it tuned as, you know, at that point close. But then on race day, you'll back up a little bit. And as far as the carburation, you don't want to guess, well, will it make it or will it not? You always go on the safe side with your carburation, your heat range, your spark plugs, your ignition timing. And all of these, you want to make sure that you can go the 500 miles, say you get a change in your your uh, engine temperature, you goes up, well, then that's going to lean an engine out. So you want to, you've got to have that margin there to play with. So there's so many things you think about race day, just like when you're getting ready to qualify. It's just like you was going to Pikes Peak, say. Okay, when you go up, your pressure's going to drop, and you're going to come down with barometric pressure. And therefore, you're going to, you know, you can lean your engine out because you don't have the oxygen. The more pressure you have, the more horsepower you're going to produce, but then you're going to have to put the fuel in it to go with it. Waddell Wilson, the crew chief on the Kale Yarborough car. So who says you don't learn something in a NASCAR race, Andy? I mean, Waddell Wilson kind of breaking it down. And I guess, you know, back then you didn't think everything was so technological, <laughs> technological, but it was. I mean, even the NASCAR crew, they may make fun of them and, you know, oh, they're not IndyCar or they're not Formula One, you know, super mechanics, but they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and see, this proves why that Bill Elliott was having so much trouble when his brother was out because the engine builder was usually the one that was actually tuning the engine and getting everything right. And like he said, with the barometric pressure, it ain't like today where you got fuel injection where you have the constant amount of fuel every time regardless. You know, they had to adjust for the weather and how they was running the temperature. And, you know, it was a lot more of a science then. Yeah, I mean, it, it was actually interesting to listen to that. That's why I threw that one in there. So um, we've got Yarborough still kind of stretching out his lead as we're just churning laps down. And uh, we get a good window, rear window cam out of the Red Baron car of Ken Schrader. Uh, we got commercial running order. We had Yarborough, Richmond, Elliott, Wallace, Daryl Waltrip, Harry Gant, Morgan Shepard, Dell Earnhardt, Jeff Bodine, and Terry Labonte. We have green flags pit, green flag pit stops taking place, and uh, this race is not as good as Dover so far. Um, 
I'm having some problems watching it just because, man, they got spread out. Way bad. And, you know, and the bad part is, you know, you've got so much more to watch going on through the race. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot, but right here, it's just, it gets pretty bad. Um, we, uh, we get green flag pit stops, um, Yarborough in the pits. He gets a little bit of right side damage and they think that he may have hit the wall. 19.5 second pit stop. Would you think, man, that's pretty good, but he only changed two tires. Yeah. And now they're doing what? Four tires and fuel, fuel in less than 14. Now in, in defense, the night they, they were fueling the car was taking the fuel was taking more time than the two tires. They, they were well done with the two tires, but still it's, um, yeah, now they can do it. And now, you know, next year they're already talking about the one lug nut with the hydraulic jacks. So they're going to be able to change four tires in like five seconds. Yeah. And so that makes you wonder what are they going to do to speed up the fueling? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know how much faster they can get the fuel in, but if they can, they'll figure it out. Um, we're three. We've got Harry Gant now into the pits from the lead. He was trying to stretch it three laps to halfway. And, um, we've got Morgan Shepard who's running second behind Rusty Wallace. And, uh, they, they were trying to stretch it to get to the halfway bonus because the, the leader at halfway got a $5,000 bonus. And, Rusty Wallace runs out of gas and Morgan Shepard, man, he, the guy could, he could find the money. Yes. He's the money man, Mr. Morgan Shepard. He was hungry. He wanted some, he wanted another bonus and he stayed out there long enough to where he got it. And, uh, we go to clip number three. Now we got another car, uh, problem out of the race. Benny Parsons out of the race and not sounding as chipper as Benny usually does. Benny Parsons. It's been a tough day for our past champions here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. David Pearson's out of the race, Richard Petty is out of the race, and Benny Parsons, who won here in the 1980s, in a little bit of trouble. Benny, what happened out there, and what's the situation right now? Something happened to the left front chocolate board. It broke off the, off the mound or where it's mounted. Somehow it broke off. And since there's only one chalk absorber on that wheel, the car was bouncing rather severely. Are they going to be able to get you back in? I suppose. I mean, I'm sure they can fix it. You know, uh, I guess we've got to sit down and examine is it worth going back out there. Or not? What's the situation of the track? What's the track condition out there? Is it slick? Track is very slick, yeah. You know, you're all the time either the right front tire is sliding across the racetrack or the right rear sliding across the racetrack. One or the other is continuing sliding. Benny Parsons looking to get back into this race, but out of contention right now in the 55 car. It's kind of strange. We don't usually hear Benny Parsons being so down. I mean, it's almost like he just got the diagnosis that uh, he's got three days to live. I mean, he was just he was just depressed. Yeah, that was highly unusual for him. I mean, usually he's pretty chipper no matter what the circumstances, just because he got the race. But I guess it being a silly problem like that that could have been prevented, maybe that's what had him so mad. Well, aggravated. I mean, and it is at the 600. You got to think uh, that at that point in time in NASCAR, you, you would think that the order of prestige is probably Daytona, Darlington, Charlotte. So it's the third biggest race of the year and he's out for something stupid. And, um, you know, I guess that's probably why he was just, it's just weird. I mean, Benny Parsons was just depressed. You listen to that for 45 seconds and you want to, kick the dog yeah, or go give him a hug i'm not sure yeah i mean I don't, I don't know what the deal was but he was he was just not um not feeling it so we have yarborough after we get through these green flag pit stops he continues to lead we get a weather update from humpy wheeler he says that it may rain but they're trying to dodge it 
He uh, compliments Bruton Smith, saying they're trying to keep up with the growth of the sport. Now, this was interesting. He talks for a couple of minutes. They get the, He talks about the Speedway Club and what they're doing at Charlotte. Man, they really were at the front end of the innovation in NASCAR, which kind of propelled it into the popularity it had in the 90s. Well, yeah. You, I mean, you look, uh, even the short tracks now have the like the Speedway Club up in the grandstands and places, you know, high-end places for people to sit and watch the races. Back then, it was just bleachers, more or less. Yeah, I mean, you just didn't have it. And you had those condos that they built, and everybody thought, oh, that's weird. You know, Nobody's going to live at the race, but... It did. I mean, it worked. So Charlotte, uh, they, they proved they was on the front end of a lot of advances in NASCAR and Humpy Wheeler, you give him credit. A lot of this was Humpy. I mean, it was Bruton Smith's money, but I think Humpy Wheeler had a lot uh, to do with the growth of the sport. Well, you got to have both. You got to have somebody with the money and somebody with the vision and they just seem to gel well together on that. Yeah. So, uh, we learned that it is raining in Indianapolis and uh, Wheeler apologizes to the people who's watching up there that they were having rain. Um, and and here, Andy, we may have, I don't know if we told this on an old podcast before we started doing this, but we've talked about this story before. Have you heard the Ray Hall story about Indianapolis? No. Okay, maybe it wasn't you. Okay. <laughs> so the, um, the deal is Bobby Ray Hall actually... We'll find out later the Indianapolis 500 in 1986 will get delayed um, one day due to rain. It's going to be ran on Monday. So Bobby Rahal is driving the Budweiser uh, car, and you've got some old boy. And this is a this is a true story. There's some guys from South Carolina, I guess, that want to go up there and, and watch the Indy 500. And they don't know anything about Indy cars. They're probably a lot like you. Where they think they're overgrown glow car. I don't know what, but they, I don't know what motivated them to go to Indianapolis to watch the 500. But they they take off, they go to Indy to watch the 500. They don't know anything about the sport, anything about what's going on. But during the race, or leading up to the race, into the race, some of it probably had something to do with the fact that he's driving the Budweiser car. But the other thing is, you know, they're cheering their guts out for Bobby Rahal all day, and he gets the lead on a late race uh, restart with two laps to go and wins the race. And uh, I guess somebody else in the stands around them was like, man, you all, it was weird to see these, you know, Southern fans just all in it for Bobby Ray Hall. And they're like, you know, man, anybody named Bobby Ray Hall is a good boy with me. I mean, we know that that's got to be a good old boy. His name is Bobby Ray Hall. Who's not going to like Bobby Ray Hall? And the guy's like, no. No, no, his name is Bobby Ray Hall. He's from Ohio. (laughs) His name is not Bobby Ray Hall. They thought his name was Bobby Ray Hall. Oh, good Lord. It's all about the spacing of the wording. (laughs) Well, that's like anybody you meet down here. If their first name's Billy, I guarantee you their middle name's either Joe or Jack. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's... So these guys are up there at Indy and they go, they're going crazy. They're big. They're the biggest Bobby Ray Hall fans in the world until they realize he is Bobby Ray Hall from Ohio. And then they don't like that. They don't like it no more and come back and watch her racing. I don't know. I mean, they, they, I, I'm sure they still, you know, have, but they just thought the guy was probably from the South because his name was Bobby Ray Hall. Bobby Ray Hall. Yeah. So that's the Bobby Ray Hall. It story. was Billy Ray Cyrus's brother. And okay. So, 
uh, we get Mike Hogwood. He came, he comes on and he, he comes out and he just says that they hope they have a caution. I mean, he's done with it. <laughs> he don't care. He's like, I, we need a caution for this race. Damn it. I mean, he, he's, he's there. He's at that point. And you know, the bad part is nowadays it would be Twitter would erupt with hashtag oh, no. Hogwood wants somebody hurt. Oh yeah. He wants, he wants to see somebody get killed. He, he has no concept of safety for the drivers and blah, blah, blah. Shut up. He just He's just like us. He's like all of us. And whether you want to admit it or not, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast, you want to admit it or not, every once in a while you like to see a good wreck. You don't want to see nobody get hurt. Exactly. But part of the reason, I mean, you watch it for the excitement and the unknown. And when these guys get sideways and hit the wall, it's exciting. Well, now, I'm not saying at Daytona, I'm not saying like go out and, you know, turn somebody going 195 miles an hour down the back stretch at Daytona and see what happens. But when you're at Bristol and you're wanting to beat and bang and you see a car crash, that that's part of it. That's what you're there for. Well, all, all joking aside, though, that is the difference between Indy and NASCAR. NASCAR, you go to watch people driving door to door, beating off each other, and I, I don't really. Around. I mean, wow, that's I, I don't. I don't know what you usually see at a NASCAR race, but we don't go to the same <laughs> ones apparently, because it's it's very rare for me to see somebody um, beating off somebody in a NASCAR race. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it was a different time. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> oh, okay. So, oh Lord, I gotta go to the toilet. Oh, all right. So, um, what's going on in this race? <laughs> we don't know no more. Uh, we're back from another commercial because that's all they can do is to try to salvage this. The running order: we're at lap two twenty nine. We have Kelly Arborough, Tim Richmond, Bill Elliott, Harry Gant, and Dale Earnhardt. Also on the lead lap, Daryl Waltrip, Terry Labonte, and Morgan Shepard. And um, we have Gant and Elliott having a pretty close race for third, but, man, we just we need a caution. I mean, I'm I'm all in Hogwood's corner here. Please, for the love of God, anything happen. Raindrop or something. Something. Um, we get Mike Joy, who interviews Tim Richmond's shop foreman, Tommy Johnson, and we'll take a listen to that right now. Standing by up the road. Richmond had been the race leader up until this last round of pit stops when Cale Yarborough went to the front. This is Tommy Johnson, the shop foreman for the Folgers team. Tim would have liked to stayed out and run for that $5,000 bonus at the halfway point, but you couldn't leave him out there. Why not? Well, we had a flat, a flat on the right rear, and uh, he tried to stay out there about four or five more laps, but he just couldn't do it. He got too weird. So they brought him in and changed that right rear tire. As a result, Richmond made a pit stop eight laps earlier, they say on the charts, than he would have liked. He'll be able to continue and run out there, but it will mean he will have to stop earlier than some of the Chevrolets, Buicks, Oldsmobiles, and Pontiac that pitted later on on this last round of green flag pit stop. All right, Andy, was that um, was that actually just Bob Seeger in disguise? I, I think it's the dude that I used to haul hay for. It's a guy from Alabama. Oh, well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I liked it when he said, uh, you know, the car just got weird. Yeah, I mean, that, it, when, it, it got weird after it had the flat. Well, yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, I mean, usually when a tire goes down, the car's going to get a little wicked, weird, whatever you want to call it. But so uh, I don't know. And th- this this is another Mike Joy was smart enough to go after the shop foreman for Tim Richmond. He know he looks up at Harry Hyde and says, 
No. Oh, hell no. You don't pay me enough for this. I ain't doing that. Let me find this guy. Let me find anybody else to talk to that's on this crew. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't measure the hairy hide during the race. No, unless you're that dude from ABC. And then you, he just, he didn't know any better, apparently. Yeah, but if you'll notice, we ain't seen him since. <laughs> that is true. He's been, he's been missing in action ever since. Um, So we're, we're keeping an eye on the radar for Indianapolis. And clearly showing the Indy 500 is the far superior and more important race. Yeah. you Don't it make you feel like the redheaded stepchild? I mean, yeah. We're like, oh my God, we just fit. And even Huppy Wheeler and that thing, you know, I feel so bad for the people up at Indy that's having to watch this. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You have to watch our product, but yeah. uh, here we are. Here we go. We're going to, we're going to watch this. The Richard Petty driving a damn green car. We're going to have all kinds of weird stuff happen here. And this, we're going to have guys beating each other off apparently during the race. <laughs> and it's crazy crazy um so now we've got yarborough who's now 12 seconds ahead of richmond in this race and like good lord i mean it's he's putting a pounding on the rest of the field um glenn jarrett is in yarborough's pit and he said they should stop around lap 251 um he says that kale did get into the wall earlier but it's it's not a problem right now uh hogwood is he's full rain right now he's 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 doing a rain damn dance up on top of the the bleacher, wherever they're at. He says the clouds are darkening and that we might see rain in the blimp shot. Andy, when I seen the blimp shot, I mean, I'll make fun of Mike Hogwood in a minute, but there is no way I didn't think that race was done when I saw the blimp shot. Well, I saw the blimp shot and then I started to think that DW might have something with the vortex theory. As long as they're running, you know, it'll keep the clouds and the rain away, but it was, it was looking bad. It, it looked like there was about to come a tornado there. I mean, there was just, it was just heavy rain. And I guarantee all around you nobody would have left the stands. Oh no, no. <laughs> you see it? You see it? They're picking up at back grandstands. You think we should move? Oh, hell no. We'll be all right. <laughs> it's over on the other side. <laughs> I ain't losing my seat for this. I just bought two beers. These yeah. seats are four dollar a piece. This general admission seating, man. We ain't we ain't moving. Um so Morgan Shepherd is trying to fend off Yarbrough to stay on the lead lap. That's a pretty good race. Uh he's running seventh, Waltrip in sixth right in front of both of those drivers. Uh, Brett Bodine is actually making his very first Winston Cup start in a number two Rick Hendrick car. So uh, Brett Bodine's very first start was for Rick Hendrick. I didn't know that. And now you know. And now we know. The number nine car of Elliott in the pits, Hogwood says that they're really going after it as one of the crew members literally is just standing there and scratching himself. Uh, left side tires for gas. It is funny because they're only changing two tires. The gas takes longer. Hogwood's making it sound like they're, you know, the flying aces out here. You got one guy standing there scratching his butt. Well, there was a lot of things apparently going around back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that number nine team had some weird medical things going on. Somebody not... needed to fumigate their house when they got back home. So we have the... Um, Shepard and uh, Kale Yarborough still racing very hard, and you could you could kind of tell that Kale's not real happy with Morgan at this point. He gets sideways, he almost tank slaps the wall, and he gets he falls back off of Morgan a little bit. Uh, Two hundred forty eight laps into the race, and we get Sterling Marlin spinning out as uh, green flag pit stops are happening, but we have no caution. We have a guy that we actually have a legitimate reason to throw a caution in NASCAR. They're probably looking at the weather saying, man, it's going to be over soon. Let's just get the fans a few more green flag laps. That's probably what that's thinking. No blood, no foul. No blood, no foul. So we keep going. Um, 
so it's raining now and we, we still don't have a caution. Uh, Travis Carter says it looks to him like it could mostly be going south of the track and uh, maybe it won't hit the track. They, uh, they saw lightning, but this is prior to lightning stopping everything. I, I had a bad flashback to the Daytona summer race, Andy. My God. If you see lightning within, what is it, five or ten miles? Five or ten miles, yeah. It's either, like five, it's either five or ten miles. You have to stop everything for 30 or 45 minutes from the last strike before you can re, re, restart. And I get it. I mean, you have had people get killed, but it seems like lightning was probably striking, you know, the parked cars out in the grandstands and eh, it's okay. Yeah. Everybody's in there. If it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Yeah. Be yeah. happy. Yeah. You're in a Charlotte race. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go watching uh, Richard Petty drive a green car. That's the way I want to go out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing I want to see. Yeah. The king yeah. of green. You go get up to the pearly gates and then, Hey, how'd that NASCAR race to go? Well, Richard Petty was driving a green car. You lying son of a bitch. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you wind up on the wrong side. Yeah. And then you tell him, and he's like, welcome home. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Hogwood just keeps talking about the rain. He's He thinks that there's going to be a caution, and finally, there is a caution. Thank God. And uh, now we get clip number five, Mike Joy with Linda Rudd. Mike, pit reporter down on pit road has a report for us on the weather. Michael with Linda Rudd and share this umbrella for a moment. This is Ricky's wife, and she sits in the Budmore pit keeping lap charts. The caution here is for the rain, and they are talking about a severe thunderstorm warning and perhaps the chance of hail. What are you doing up here during the race besides watching Ricky go around? I uh, keep a track of his gas mileage, and I write down each consecutive lap that Ricky's running. just sitting up in the grandstand or on top of the truck watching the race that you get involved in what goes on and have a part in it. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It feels like you're involved with your husband. Uh, well, they'd also like to win this one for Bud Moore. As Jerry pointed out at the top of the show, car owner Bud Moore turned 61 today. He's been fielding a car here in Charlotte for 30 years and has never been to victory lane in the May race. They'd like to do it today. Now, every driver needs to stay out on the racetrack, if at all possible. A couple years of Richmond, Virginia, in a rain situation, Joe Rutman leading the race crashed. Four of the five other drivers on the lead lap did it. Dave Marcus did not, and they called the race due to rain. Marcus went to victory lane. So, Mike and Jerry, I think everyone will stay out there at least for a while until they see what the rain situation progresses. We had just had a word from NASCAR that this is going to be a brief rain delay. And I think whenever the crew chiefs got that word, everybody came down on pit road that we are just going to catch the edge of the front and then we will go back to green racing in just a moment. And All right, Andy. So, um, Mike Joy uh, climbs on her. on Linda Rudd. Yeah. That's what he said. Yes. He said, I'm going to climb on Linda Rudd. He was bringing the joy. And he said something about the umbrella, so he was prepared for whatever may happen. Yes, rain, hail, sleet, snow, nothing would stop him from coming to the rescue. I mean, they do call Ricky the rooster. I mean, cock-a-doodle-doo. Yeah, and with his temper, he might he liable to break Mike Joy's coccyx. Oh, okay, so the caution has put a lot of people in a bind, actually. Um, Cal Yarborough stays out, but then because it doesn't keep raining, he has to pit. And uh, we're getting ready to go back to green after a fairly extended caution period. And so Kale comes into the pits because he has to pit. Everybody else did. Now 
our top five is uh, Bill Elliott, Daryl Waltrip, Jeff Bodine, Dell Earnhardt, and Morgan Shepard. I mean, this was a this was definitely a game changing moment in the race. Oh, definitely, and it 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 made just chaos there for a little bit. It did. It um it made it made for some interesting races for the racing for the rest of the race. So they're they're having all kinds of problems getting lined up. They're they're literally three and four wide. I think they thought. You know, in the traditions, Indy's not being ran today. We start, they start the Indy 500 three wide. We're going to restart the Coke 600 four wide. We're going to show them we can do it too. So um, we get the uh, Yarborough and Richmond. They're trying to work their way back through the field. And uh, Yarborough gets into Gantt and almost wrecks. Uh, Richmond gets by both of them. And then uh, Gantt gets, he almost gets by Richmond. So there's a lot of good racing there. Um, Nine of Elliott in the lead, Morgan Shepard up to second. And uh, it, it kind of reminds me of Atlanta, minus the horrible commentary and possibly overt homosexuality. Yes, there was no shoulder touching and or way too close commentary. We see Joe Rutman in the pits with the hood up. I mean, what's new? Rutman's something's wrong with his car. What can you say he's in a Rutman? We have um, Bazinga. We have uh, Richmond and Waltrip running hard for fourth, and you have Marlin right behind them. I mean, you, one thing I've noticed here early in the year, if I haven't noticed anything else, Sterling Marlin hasn't ran very many races, but the ones he does, that number one car was not a great car. It wasn't a horrible car, but it wasn't a great car. He was well driving well above where that car should have been. Yeah, he was way over his head when it came to that thing. Yeah, I mean, he was showing that uh, he had some talent. Um, we've got uh, 250 lap, 290 laps in, and Bill Elliott has stretched out to two seconds ahead of Shepard. Uh, we see Yarbrough trying to work through the pack. He, he gets by Sterling, and he chases down Waltrip for six, but Yarbrough's not as fast as he was. It's just when he got in traffic, his car just was not the same. No, definitely, and you know if he could ever get out in clean air, I guess he he done pretty good. But traffic, he wasn't worth a flip. He was all over the place. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Travis Carter would nailed it on the weather forecast. He said it thought it was going south of the track. Mike Hogwood, uh, not so much. So, Andy, some uh, quick things that you might trust more than Mike Hogwood's weather predictions. Epstein's uh, cell camera, Casey Anthony's babysitting service, the French Army. <laughs> Taking a cigar from Bill Clinton. Oh, yes. Going on a dinner date with Bill Cosby. Indeed. Michael J. Fox defusing a bomb. You're going to hell. <laughs> Ron Jeremy alone with your wife. Uh, wow. That'd be weird. <laughs> it would be. Butch Jones winning a college football championship as a head coach. Now we have just in a fantasy land. I mean, come on. He, he goes to Alabama and crashes their party, and he wasn't even in the upper echelon. Uh, yeah, if you have no idea, we're from East Tennessee. We're Tennessee fans, and if you don't know anything about college football, just be happy you don't know anything about Butch Jones. Yes, because after Dooley, he went up the holler. We need to get Justin on the show just to go off on Butch Jones. Yes, because it, he he had enough of him up in Cincinnati, and then we got him. Uh, all right, so uh, Jeff Bodine has blown an engine, and his Winston Million hopes are literally up in smoke. Um, Dale Earnhardt is moving. He's worked his way to about a second behind Bill Elliott from over four seconds behind 
322 laps down and uh, we're approaching the end of the race and uh, we we keep welcoming tv stations joining the broadcast i don't know uh, jefferson pilot i thought was like a uh, tbs affiliate i'm not sure so i'm not sure exactly what was going on but they keep getting additional tv stations as the broadcast goes on Maybe they was others just holding out hope for the Indy 500 doing interviews and something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so the we get Earnhardt easily to the lead, and um, Elliott in the pits for right side tires, and Earnhardt thought that Elliott had lost a cylinder, I guess, as fast as he caught him or something. I don't know. But the three had radioed in that he thought that Bill Elliott was losing a cylinder, and we find out that that was not what happened. And uh, clip number six here of the race, we're going to now catch up with uh, Mr. Bodine after his engine failure. Michael, well, Jeff has managed to change and climb out of his Levi Garrett uniform. What finally put you out? Well, camshaft-itis. Camshaft broke the second one this year, and uh, I don't know what we got going here. We got to find a problem. We thought we had it figured out, but I've got a lot of confidence in my engine guys. They'll figure out what we're on, what we're wrong, and. Uh, we'll come back strong again, Mike. We were down early this year after Daytona. Had a lot of problems. Came back one over. A great win. We might be down a little bit right now. We'll come back. The Levi Garrett, that's not true. Too strong. Well, you battled them all out there today. Who looks tough for these last 100 miles? Who's leading? Whoever's leading is tough right now, I'll tell you. They keep swapping back and forth. And we weren't really in the race until just at the end here. And uh, uh, then the car got a little too tight. It was loose, then it got too tight. We were going to make another adjustment, hopefully be right in there. But I hope my teammate wins. He needs to win for Rick Henrik and Henrik Motorsports. So now that we're not there, I hope Kim wins. Uh, Earnhardt's running good. Walter's a lot of cars. Did it feel tough having to wave that chance at the million dollars goodbye? <laughs> well, I just feel really fortunate. It's a great opportunity for a, a man in this world today to have that opportunity to go for a million dollar bonus we can still go for a hundred thousand but the chance at a million dollars that that just made me feel so good made the whole team feel good we're we're disappointed sure that we didn't get it but we feel good that we had the chance we're going to come back next year and go for it again well, Jeff Bodine has the Daytona 500 and last week's over victory in his pocket so he still has something to smile about and he Andy Jeff Bodine is the, the happiest man on the planet earth what and the bad part you know he's not on no drugs or nothing that's just no. a natural the way he has to be you, you want to call this man up and be his friend yeah i mean it's like back then i didn't ha i know you didn't like him because of the earnhardt feud going on and i was kind of indifferent i you know he's whatever i i didn't dislike him i didn't like him he's kind of just there but now going back and watching this, it's like I've found some new favorite drivers. I love Morgan Shepard, and I love Jeff Bodine. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I, Morgan Shepard, I never thought of him of, as a, even a decent driver. And you go back and look at this and what he's doing with the equipment he's got, and you're like, my God, man, why didn't somebody give you a chance? Yeah, and then Mike Joy just bringing the heat. It's like, you know, Jeff, trying to kick Jeff while he's down. I mean, I don't know if he's wanting him to strangle him on the air or what. <laughs> But we have we have joy that's um, he's just he's like so. What's it feel like to lose a million? 
Well, then what do you think it feels like? <laughs> let me show you when I put this steering wheel. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me shove this steering wheel up your butt and we'll figure out what it feels like. So, but Jeff Bodine, he just, he's such a positive person. Yeah. Bless his heart. That's yeah, all really. you say. So, uh, we, we get, uh, we cycle through green flag pit stops, Bill Elliott back to the lead. They question whether he can go 73 laps or not. And that's, that's definitely a tall order. Um, Earnhardt trying to run him back down. We have 350 out of 400 laps are complete. And all of a sudden we have Earnhardt and Richmond both to the back of Elliott for the lead. And man, that's what, that's when I was like, you know, rubbing my hands together thinking, man, this is it. Earnhardt and Richmond. Finally, we're getting the Earnhardt and Richmond showdown. And that's not what happens, but that's what I thought was going to happen for a minute. Yeah. It was so close. They, uh, Richmond just liked a little bit of being able to make that happen. Yeah. He just wasn't quite there. So, uh, Morgan Shepard has to make an unscheduled pit stop for a flat tire. Glenn Jarrett says that both Dale Earnhardt and Tim Richmond can go the distance if it stays green. We have um, Elliot and Earnhardt pulling away a little bit from Richmond and Earnhardt trying to get back by Elliot and almost every turn. And then here we have it. It's, it's Glenn Jarrett. And the reason we don't play it is because there's no audio, really, of, of what happens. Glenn Jarrett asks Harry Hyde about gas mileage. Hyde looks at him. And he just ignores him completely. I mean, that's one where he's like, and Glenn Jarrett just looked up and he kind of looks at the camera and like, okay. <laughs> yeah. What do we do now? We, um, we're going to have to go ask that little feller that looks like the dude from Alabama <laughs> about gas <laughs> mileage, apparently. Yeah. Cause he literally turned, it ain't even like he's, he oh, acts no. like he didn't hear it. He looks him dead in the eye and turns his back to him. I mean, all he does, you know, he, he done everything except give him the finger. Yes. And that's why I think Jared should have like did one of the, you know, Ric Flair nut shots right then. Oh, just just, his yeah. Like you're going to talk to me whether you want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been interesting. Harry Gant, um, he hits the wall out of turn four and he almost crashes. Uh, he regroups. He runs down Waltrip again. And um, we're 30 laps to go. Elliot, Earnhardt, Richmond, Kelly Arborough finally back up to fourth. Gant, Waltrip, Marlin. Then we um, have the uh, 15, in, also Rusty Wallace and Terry Labonte rounding out the top fifth. Who's 15? Red, red, yeah, oh yeah, the rooster. Um, clips. We get another clip here. Mike Joy, and um, he successfully interviews Richard Childress. Mike Joy, our good friend, pit reporter, standing by now in the pit of Dale Earnhardt. Well, this man looks like the cat that swallowed the canary for good reason. He's car owner Richard Childress. He owns the Dale Earnhardt car. Richard, you won't have to stop, and you know that it looks like Bill Elliott will have to stop. You were in the pit ten laps later than Bill. And that's, well, with about 62 laps to go, you can go the distance. Yeah, we go. We went 64 earlier, so we should be able to go that far this time. And it's highly doubtful that Elliott will be able to run 74 laps. Now, he'll have to stop with about 10 to go, 8, 10 laps to go. Are you talking to Dale to try to keep him from pushing the car and trying to catch Bill? No, we're just watching the number 25 back there right now. That's our concern. So their concern is not the leader, but it's that third-place car, Tim Richmond. Very, very interesting. It's, uh, while Bill Elliott is certainly delighting the fans here and leading the race, Dale Earnhardt, the second-place star, is not that concerned about it because he knows that Bill's going to have to stop. Instead, he's concerned about Tim Richmond, car number 25. So Childress uh, there says, you know, he's not, they're not worried about Elliot because they just, they, they know he's not going to make it, but they are worried about, um, about Tim Richmond. Uh, and, um, so 
it's it's basically a fuel strategy game. They just want to make sure they keep Richmond far enough behind them. Exactly. They knew Elliot. I mean, at first I thought, well, maybe Elliot's people are trying to pull a ruse on them, but 73 laps and the best they've been doing is 60-something. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah, and the Fords was not getting the gas mileage the Chevys did. And there was another, maybe I, I should have put it in there, that they talked to... Um, they talked to somebody. They talked to Greg Moore of uh, the 15 team, Bud Moore's son. And um, he explained why the Fords didn't get as good a gas mileage. So, I mean, you just knew that Elliot wasn't going to make it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, we're down to Elliot finally gets goes into the pits. And um, Earnhardt is to the lead with 15 laps to go. Oh, no, this is the guy that looks like Bob Seeger. I guess the dude from the other team was not the guy, but this is this it. Greg Moore does look like Bob Seeger, no, no doubt, because Mike Joy interviews him and they talk about the fuel mileage. That's where that happens. Yeah, he definitely looked like Bob Seeger or maybe the guitar player from Alabama, one of the two. Yeah. So Mike, uh, we have another, so we don't play that interview. Elliot to the pits, Earnhardt to the lead, fifteen laps to go. Earnhardt has a three second lead over Richmond, so unless there's a caution, that's pretty much all there is to it. Uh. Elliot comes back out of the pits. He's right behind Waltrip. So they're racing pretty hard for fifth. Elliot only pits for gas. So he's not got new tires. It's not like he can just steamroll by these guys. Uh, Earnhardt still shows the way and we're working through some lap traffic across the top of the screen. We do learn the Indy 500 was postponed until Monday, three laps to go. And, uh, Richmond and Yarborough now running hard for second and uh, we'll let uh, the the guys take you home for the last couple of laps and victory lane. Harbor, some car length and a half, and now Kale's going to make a move on the back straightaway. He's going to really miss. Well, we'll see if Yarbrough can reel down Tim Richmond. Meanwhile, coming out of turn four and heading down the front straightaway will be Dale Earnhardt. He will get the white flag this time by from Harold Kinder. What lap to go for Dale Earnhardt to win the Coca-Cola 600? Dale Earnhardt takes his Wrangler machine into turn one. He's in the middle of turn one now, heading into turn two. He has no traffic around him, no chance really to get into trouble as he slides by a lap car there. Dale Earnhardt alone on the racetrack in the middle of the back straightaway. Our battle for second place again is Richmond and Yarborough. Is Yarborough still running third? Heading into turn three, it's Dale Earnhardt. Earnhardt looks like he can coast home now to the Coca-Cola 600 victory. Earnhardt, the crowd is on its feet and waving as Earnhardt now on the front straightaway. The checkered flag is out. Dale Earnhardt wins this race, and it's going to be Tim Richmond who takes second from Kale Yarborough. Yarborough will finish third. An exciting finish for second place. Harry Gann is fourth. Darrell Walters is fifth. And congratulations to Dale Earnhardt. You see the excitement in the pits down there as Dale Earnhardt has just won the Coca-Cola 600. And a jubilant Wrangler crew as Tim Richmond will pull up alongside Dale Earnhardt to congratulate his young friend and Earnhardt now waving to the crowd some 150,000 strong here at Charlotte Speedway as Richmond signals him to congratulate his friend. Earnhardt picks up the third victory of the year in 1986 season. Well, he becomes the first three-time winner, as you said, on the Winston Cup circuit. A great day for Dale Earnhardt and the crew. You have to give some credit to Kirk Shelverdine and Richard Childress. The car was not handling well at the beginning of the race. There were problems with the car all day long, but they fought, 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 and fought, and the old rule, never give up, really came into play today for Dale Earnhardt. Indeed it did, and you got a feel for Bill Elliott, Ernie Elliott, 
the crew that uh, thought they had, might have had a victory within their grasp, but the fuel mileage again came up to bite them, and they had to come in for that last second stop, and the crowd cheering in the background for Dale Earnhardt as he makes his way toward victory lane. Well, look at this crowd here, 158,000 here at the Charlotte Motor Speedway today. A great crowd. They saw an exciting race. Dale Earnhardt has driven it home to victory, and Earnhardt now will pull his number three Wrangler Chevrolet into victory lane. Mike Joy is standing by down there. We'll get a word with Dale as soon as he climbs out of the race car. Again, Tim Richmond second, Dale Yarborough third, Harry Gant fourth, and Darrell Walters, the defending champion, was fifth. The car is now into victory lane, and it's got to be an all smile from Dale Earnhardt inside the cockpit of that car as he takes a drink of water. We'll be back to victory lane to talk to Dale Earnhardt, the winner of the Coca-Cola 600, when we return live to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Welcome back to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Dale Earnhardt has won the Coca-Cola 600. Mike Hogwood along with Jerry Punch. Exciting race today. Tim Richmond finishes second. Cale Yarborough third. Harry Gant fourth. And Daryl Walter fifth. Appreciate our overhead shots all day from the Goodyear Blimp Enterprise, piloted today by Dr. Jim Maloney. Down in Victory Lane, Mike Joy is standing by with the winner, Dale Earnhardt, for a good rinse pit report. Let's go down to Victory Lane. We're trying to figure it out who's tired here, Richard Childress's crew or Dale Earnhardt. My vote goes to the driver, but these fellas have really worked for it, and I think maybe they kind of vindicated themselves after Daytona, but Dale, what a hard, tough, and look at you, hot afternoon out there. It was a tough one. I'd like to thank the good Lord for a good, safe day and uh, no rain, and uh, for letting this Wrangler Goodrich Chevrolet run so good. Kurt and all the guys did a heck of a job. We were off at the first of the race, uh, pulled a little higher again than what I thought we should have pulled, but after the track came to us, we were just right. The uh, cool suit, I noticed you're taking it off there before you got out of the car. How big a help was that for you today? Definitely an advantage. Uh, I didn't run it all day. I ran it off and on periodically and made a difference. Dale is a little whipped. He's going to have a seat. And take a look just behind him here, if you will, on the door of this car. It is pretty well scraped up with tire marks. Were those anybody's in particular or just the rigors of running around this track all day? Well, it's a slick racetrack and... Uh, you know, it's pretty clean out there. Bodine got into me pretty hard a couple of times, but you know, that's racing, I reckon. Will the Dale catch his breath here and have a quick word with Carl and Richard Childress? Richard, you guys had the faith you knew Bill Elliott would have to stop and that you guys could be there and survive. Well, you know, I was proud of the whole team. You know, we worked with Dale all the way through the race, and he kept telling us what he needed on the car, and we kept trying to hit it. And, you know, at one time, we felt like we wasn't going to get it, and then everything came around. I'm just proud of the whole crew, and Dale done a super job, and Wrangler and Jim Goodrench for putting the money behind us to be able to be here. This team works hard, and they play hard, and today, they worked hard. They'll have a little spending money to play with. Congratulations. Thank you. Let's go back upstairs. Thanks, Mike Joy, and I'll tell you, Dale Earnhardt looks whipped, but uh, he deserves to be tired. He's a happy tire today because he is the champion of the Coca-Cola 600. We'll return live to the Charlotte Motor Speedway after these messages. So there you have it. Um, end of the race, victory lane. Earnhardt does take home the win. And Andy, the first thing, I mean, my God. <laughs> Andy, go watch, If you don't watch the race, it's fine. Go watch the end of the race. Right as Earnhardt wins, Chocolate Myers straight up headbutts a dude into next Thursday. And he was celebrating and doing it. 
Yeah, something flew off this man's face. I don't know what it was, whether it was skin, an eyeball, or something. He po- he hit him so hard he popped his contacts. Yeah, he he was the intimidator before the intimidator. Now, I mean, I, uh, this goodness. is one we're not making up. No, Chocolate Myers straight up headbutts a dude. I think his soul left his body. It, yeah. That's what it looked like. Oh my God! So that <laughs> was great. And then Earnhardt Man in victory lane, he was tired. He he slumped down beside the car. I make fun of Ricky Rudd, but I mean, it happens to everybody. It was just a joke. I mean, Earnhardt, after the race, he's laying down beside the car, too. It's just, it took a lot out of you in 1986, even though they did have power steering. Those cars was just hard to drive. And this was like right around the the time where they brought in the the cool suits. Yes. And Earnhardt even says during the race, he said, yeah, I turned it off and on because it only lasts so long. So he would just use it when he really had to. Yeah. And you got to figure Charlotte, <clears throat> 600 laps, and you're in a metal coffin with no other wind, you know, other yeah. than what you create. It's crazy. Yeah. So um, the 600 is in the books, and we will do our uh, post race wrap up for Charlotte. Uh, there wasn't enough of Dover to watch to figure out how to do one. So for Charlotte, Andy, who was your driver of the race? Okay, I'm going to surprise you a little bit. My The actual driver of the race had to be Harry Gant, in my view. He was all over the place. That car was ill-handling, and he still ended up with, what, a top five? I mean, it, it, it was crazy. He had that thing all over the place, beating it off the walls. Earnhardt, yeah, he won the race, my favorite driver, but he finally hit the setup right, and then he took off. But as far as driving, Harry Gant had this one. I'm I'm going to go a different direction, but I'm not going Earnhardt either. I'm going Kelly Yarborough. I mean, Yarborough dominated the race until they had the weird caution that put him out, and he had to go in, the, and he just never could work his way back up. But Gant is not a bad pick either. Him and Yarborough was both um, definitely good contenders for driver of the race. So what do you uh, have as your most critical moment of this race? Elliot running out of gas because without that happening, I don't know if Earnhardt had enough to pass him. He might have, but he if he did, he wasn't showing it right then. Yeah, I'm going to put Yarborough not pitting when the caution came out for rain because he thought the race may have been over, and then it just it just killed the rest of his race. So um, that's where I'm going with that. What was the most surprising thing you thought about this World 600? The lack of caution flags for anything. I was waiting on a plague of locusts to hit this place so that we might get a caution flag, but no, hail, rain, sleet, snow, it didn't matter. They wasn't going to throw it. Yeah, I mean, this this race is one that um, could have benefited from a few more cautions, but uh, not uh, not about to happen. So I'll I'll go with you on that. I don't I don't think, you know, you'd think World 600 a lot of attrition that you'd have more cautions, but you just didn't. Who do you give your goodies headache award to? Bodine for the camshaft. I mean, you think you've got the problem fixed and you have a car to contend going for, you know, you can go for a million dollars and the same problem jumps up and bites you in the butt again. Yeah, I'm going to go all Groundhog Day and just say Kel Yarborough. I mean, my God, it just, I, this is probably one of the last legitimate shots he has to win a NASCAR race and it's, just because he didn't pit. I mean, if he, he may have lost the setup anyway. He, he wasn't as fast, but I don't think if he'd have been back in that traffic, he he would have if he'd have been out front in clean air, he may have it may have been a totally different race. Yeah, they're trying to say that, you know, that we had a bad set of tires, but like you say, when you get back in the traffic with all that rough air and stuff, you never know what's gonna happen. Yeah. So Andy, um, on this race, what uh, would you give the race rating? 
I had to go a little bit lower than normal. I mean, I'm I'm still enjoying these races, but I had to go about an 80 because uh, I don't know. It was there was long stretches of nothing happening, and I just I don't know. It just didn't grab me like the previous ones. Yeah, I mean, it happens every once in a while. I'll go 75. I I, I wasn't feeling it either for the the action in the race uh, for the most part. But we didn't get to see the first 133 laps, so it's not fair. I mean, usually the first 100 laps of the race back then when all the cars were still mostly running, was probably better than the rest of the race. Well, not only that. I mean, we watched the clips of uh, Dover right before it, and, you know, that race looked so good from what we saw. I think it kind of, it might have threw a shadow on it. Yeah, So, but how was you entertained on your entertainment factor? The entertainment, though, I had had to go like 85. I went a little bit higher than the racing because as far as the entertainment with the pit reporters and all the slip-ups and stuff like that, it, it kept my attention, but it, you know, that's why I give it that rating. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it like an 85 to 90 on the entertainment factor just because you have several things that happen in this race. First, Mike Joy's climbing on top of Linda Rudd, which is different. Um, Harry Hyde just straight up ignores Glenn Jarrett. <laughs> uh, Hogwood and the rain thing, he's, he's, he's praying for rain and a caution. Then you also have at the end of the race, Chocolate Meyer straight up headbutting somebody yes. into next week. That was the one thing that brought it. Uh, I was actually thinking like a 70, to be honest with you. And then at the very end, when he headbutts the soul out of a man, you've got to bump the rating up. Yes, sir. So uh, we have wrapped up Charlotte. And um, programming note, the next race is actually the uh, Budweiser 400 from Riverside. I have looked ahead. There's about an hour clip online of the Riverside race, so we'll be able to cover that halfway decently. The Pocono race the following week only has like 30 to 40-minute clip online. So our next show, we will do two races again. We will do Riverside and Pocono as one broadcast next, hopefully next week. And then maybe we'll be back to Daytona when they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, then uh, we're going to, you got the Michigan race. I think most of that race is available online. So we should be able to cover that in one week. Um, Daytona, I think pretty much that whole race is online as well. So we'll probably cover that in one week. I, I think the second Pocono race is also abbreviated. So when we do Daytona, we may do Daytona Pocono. But next week, we will be doing Riverside and Pocono. And man, Andy, have you, do you remember Riverside? Yes, I do. And I, that's why I'm disappointed to hear that they don't have a longer clip than that. Oh man, Riverside, if you didn't if you didn't grow up watching Riverside, you missed it. Riverside was a it was a it was just a unique road course. It was almost like I don't even know how to explain it. Just watch a race from Riverside, get get a NASCAR simulation game. And uh, run Riverside. That tr- I, I wish somebody would build that track somewhere. The same, like, put the elevation back into it. Build that kind of a, a road course, because that was such a fun road course for NASCAR. And, and it was one of those where it was still the, even if they had to go through the grass, it was still tough enough to where he could hold the car without just burying them. And you see all kinds of Oh, stuff. yeah. You got guys off the track. They're passing off the track on purpose. I mean, it's it's going to be a good race. I mean, I haven't watched it yet, so hopefully it'll live up to 
Or the, yeah, the, the hype of Riverside, because Riverside's usually pretty awesome. Um, Pocono's usually not, but hopefully those two together will we'll, we'll come up with a pretty good show. So remember, we are on Facebook. Join our Facebook group where we interact with people racing through time. Um, email us at racingthroughtimeproject at gmail.com or send us messages through our uh, Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter at OPR Word. And for all your motorsports news and information, go to onpitroad.com and follow them on Twitter at onpitroad. And Andy, we do have a Patreon coming up. We talked about that the last show, and that was right before we fried. get the new audio equipment, right before we fried some audio equipment. And um, now we've got the new equipment, and we should have a Patreon show out in the next. Well, probably the next broadcast, we'll have a Patreon show drop. I think, unless we change our mind, our first Patreon show is going to be the 1978 or 78. I think it's 78 season finale from Ontario Motor Speedway in California. That sounds right. It's either 78 or 76. I can't remember. I think it was 78. Um, but either way, it's going to be, um, there's like a, about an hour clip of that race and we're going to go over it and some news around the race and some what all is going on. And it's, it's got some sound bites. It's going to be pretty fun to uh, plug into the show. I've already uh, made some notes on that. Good deal. All right. So uh, for Andy Waddell, I'm Ricky Wittenberg and we will have another racing through time in the books and another one coming next week. <laughs>